covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we welcome you into a special edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. You may have noticed we are releasing this week's podcast a little bit later than normal. Generally, you can be sure that when you wake up on Monday morning, uh, if you're subscribed to us on iTunes or Stitcher, that it's sitting there on your phone or in your iTunes or whatever it might be that's ready for you come Monday morning. Uh, this week, we decided to do something a little bit different for the first time. Uh, this is going to sound different than the normal podcast. Everything's going to be back to normal next week. But as uh, Monday is the Major League Baseball trade deadline, uh, we are recording this on Monday afternoon, not that long after the deadline comes and goes. And I'm going to have uh, Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation and FanRag Sports uh, joining us in just a few moments. And really, the podcast this week is just us discussing the trade deadline. Now, when I decided to do it this way, I got to be honest with you, I thought the Brewers would be a little bit more active at the trade deadline. I thought there would be at least a couple moves to talk about. That's not the case. The only move that the Brewers make is they reacquire Jeremy Jeffress, who almost to the year was traded away from the organization to the Texas Rangers. He did not have the success in Texas like he had in Milwaukee. He left Milwaukee as the closer. He was part of that Jonathan Lucroy deal, and now uh, he is back with the Brewers trying to get things back together. He uh, had some off-field stuff that went poorly for him last year he has not been the same pitcher uh, with the Rangers that he was uh, with uh, with the Brewers so he's going to try to get back on track and he's got a very good support system in Milwaukee as well in fact some of his comments have already been that Milwaukee is the place that he needs to be so uh, he shores up the bullpen but that's it no starting pitching uh, no veteran bats come in this is uh, this is the move now If you listen to this show every week, you know I've said this, and if you listen to any of my shows on WTMJ, whether it's the post-game show that I do after games, uh, Brewers Extra Innings, not the podcast, just the regular show, or when I'm filling in on Sports Central or hosting Wisconsin Sports Weekend, whatever it might be, I've said over and over and over again that I thought the Brewers would be able to make more of a splash in the month of August than in the month of July. Because you have the ability to go make trades in August uh, for guys who go through waivers or guys who are put on waivers and you claim, and then you can go make a deal with that team after you claiming them. So basically, if there are players who make a whole bunch of money, generally they pass through waivers. If those guys are going to be free agents this upcoming year, the Brewers are in great position to be able to pick up salary because the overall salary is not that much. So, you know, there had been some rumblings and some rumors out there about Curtis Granderson. Granderson, in all likelihood, passes through waivers. So it's not like that's done. Uh, Not that the Brewers are going to claim Justin Verlander because that is so much money and it's beyond this year, but you could potentially see Justin Verlander get traded this year uh, before uh, August 31st. If you remember last year, Ryan Braun almost got traded to the Dodgers right before August and uh, that, uh, that, that again, that was a waiver trade deadline. Not before, right before August, right before August 31st is what I mean to say. So Adam Riggs is going to join us in just a moment. Going to take a quick detour 
because something kind of cool happened when I was hosting Wisconsin Sports Weekend on Sunday afternoon. And for those of you who might not have caught it, if you weren't listening, I wanted to share it with you. Uh, if uh, we, we spent the weekend celebrating uh, former Brewers owner, former commissioner Bud Selig, as he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Not only is he responsible for the Brewers coming to Milwaukee, but without Miller Park, the Brewers probably are no longer in Milwaukee. And there was, there was legal and political battles on people uh, wanting or not wanting Miller Park. There was a state senator by the name of George Petak, and he initially uh, essentially had a no vote towards Miller Park. It had to do with a tax uh, that needed to be uh, created to be able to uh, fund the construction of Miller Park. Well, in the 11th hour, he changed his vote from yes to no. He loses his political career over it. He then They went through a recall election with him, and he was he lost his uh, he lost his seat and he never served politically again. But he was the decisive vote. Uh, it uh, created the tax in uh, Racine County, and with that, they were able to build the ballpark. PTAC has been somewhat quiet about this for all these years since. You know, he has uh, he obviously has a legacy that goes along with this, but he does not talk that often. Well, I'm doing the show on Sunday, and I'm talking about Bud Selig. Lo and behold, out of nowhere, who calls the former state senator, George Petak, which was a complete surprise to me. Uh, You might be able to figure out that it was a bit of a surprise uh, as you listen to this audio. But in case you missed it, I thought this was a cool moment. I wanted to share this with you. Uh, This is uh, George Petak uh, calling in to WTMJ Radio uh, on Sunday evening. And the first thing I asked him about was, uh, just the decision to uh, go from the no to the yes and uh, what led to that and really how he feels about it now, looking back on it and knowing that without him, there might not be Miller Park. And without Miller Park, there's probably not a Milwaukee Brewers. They might be playing in Charlotte right now. So uh, this is uh, George Petak calling in to WTMJ on Sunday. Well, it was a difficult time for Major League Baseball, certainly a difficult time for the Brewers back in the uh, 80s and uh, early 90s. And uh, frankly, I thought we'd have a better weekend this weekend for the Brewers. But uh, yeah, we uh, got acquainted with Bud uh, during that discussion and uh, Governor Thompson and and Jim Clouser and the county executive and the mayor and Lots of other people uh, were very interested in, in doing whatever could be done to keep the brewers in town and in our state. And um, I, I think the the uh, wisdom prevailed. And, and uh, while it cost me my position as a state senator, it was still clearly the uh, the right thing to do and the appropriate thing to do for the for the uh, for the good of the state and the good of the team, of course. What does it mean to you to see the guy that you worked with and the the uh, you know somebody who's so a big part of Miller Park to see Bud Selig get inducted in the Hall of Fame? What does that mean to you? Well, it's clear that uh, that Bud, and uh, in, in his reputation and uh, as a historian, frankly, and as a, a, a professional who loves the game of baseball, I'd uh, go so far beyond Milwaukee. Uh, he has made some major uh, major innovations in Major League Baseball uh, in in terms of uh, interleague play and other things that 
that have have happened, putting the Brewers back in the National League, and and uh, all that that means with the big uh, rivalry between the Cubs and the and the Cardinals and Pirates and others, and and so Bud's had a significant impact uh, in Milwaukee, of course, and in Wisconsin, but also in Major League Baseball in general. What? Look, Milwaukee's a small market to have baseball, and I think if it was today, maybe it would be a hard time getting this team here. It was a little bit different uh, back when, when he was fighting for it, but what was it about Bud that uh, allowed him to, uh, to have the, the thought process that baseball can continue to work in Milwaukee? Well, he's, uh, he could look into the future, I guess I would say, and see what could happen with a small market club and there are other small market clubs that have have, uh, have made it work around around the country. Uh, of, of course, uh, uh, TV revenues, uh, advertising revenues, going uh, to uh, nearly full time uh, TV broadcasts of uh, of the games has has been extremely important. But uh, building a stadium that was uh, that could attract uh, business uh, support, attract uh, uh, season ticket holders, and the sky boxes, of course, are, are a big part of the uh, of the corporate support uh, around Southeast Wisconsin and elsewhere around Wisconsin. So, uh, the need for the stadium was pretty clear in the '80s and early '90s. Uh, we made our decision and and uh, and went with it in 1995. And and the stadium has been there since 2001, and uh, we've seen some great teams. And uh, it's exciting because at this point, there's still a lot of baseball to be played in 2017. And uh, as as any uh, good fan and any optimist knows, uh, the Brewers are in it, and uh, they're they're in the race, and they're going to be in the race. And uh, I think Bud saw that, and uh, of course now Mark Atanasio is uh, is showing uh, some real confidence and uh, able to support uh, bringing some new talent in, uh, uh, put them on the field, and uh, I think we're going to see a very good season uh, as we progress through 2017. Mr. Petak, thank you so much for calling. Thank you for what you did for Miller Park all those years ago. And uh, thank you for your giving some thoughts on Bud Selig. This was a treat to be able to talk to you tonight. Glad to be able to join you. Thanks again. Take care. An unexpected phone call from George Petak on Sunday. Very cool. And one of those kind of unknown individuals that play a huge role in the history of the franchise. And I appreciated the fact that he was so excited about the way the team is playing now. Uh, that's cool for him to uh, for for him. I'll be honest with you. So here's here's the even the funniest part about that. Just just how caught off guard I was by him calling in. When he called in, he talked. When you call into a radio show, you speak with a call screener. He told his the call screener he didn't specifically identify who he was. So it was George from DeForest. So I just went to the phone call. Hey, George in DeForest, you're on WTMJ. At that point, he introduced himself as George Petak. So I had no clue, but that was a uh, that was a fun conversation. But anyways, this is a special edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And uh, to, we we come at your way following the trade deadline on Monday afternoon, where the Brewers don't do much. 
much. They reacquired Jeremy Jeffress from the Texas Rangers, his third stint now in the Brewers organization, interestingly enough, and this is where he tends to have the most success. But uh, as we do do a special edition, uh, I want to welcome in from uh, FanRag Sports, from the Brewer Nation, from all over the place, uh, he is Adam Rigg. We always affectionately refer to him as the executive producer of the program because uh, when we were first getting started up, he really helped uh, me uh, get things going and told me who to talk to, who not to talk to, and things like that. And Adam, let's start right up. And uh, what what are your general thoughts on a mostly non-active day from the Brewers, except for uh, the re-arrival of Jeremy Jeffress? Well, I, I kind of want to sing uh, a modified version of the Puff Daddy classic, Coming Home, right now for Jeremy <laughs> Jeffress. Uh, but I'll get into that a little bit, I guess. The overall thoughts, um, I, I'm okay with what happened. They got sword a couple of days ago. Obviously, that counts uh, for this trading deadline. And he's the type of guy who hopefully, you know, we've seen him pitch a couple of times now in a brewery uniform, and hopefully he can continue uh, to have the, you know, career year that he's having and help the Brewers win games down the stretch. You know, a two-and-a-half game deficit, and I'm sure we'll get into that more in a second too, but a two-and-a-half game deficit to the Cubs is not insurmountable regardless of how they may stay or over the last couple of weeks. So between that and a guy in Jeremy Jeffress who, you know, you take a release pitcher who was very effective here in Milwaukee, put him back in his comfort area, put him back with people that he knows and trusts, and put him back in the spot where he experienced the best success of his career, all for the price of an indie league ball signing. Um, you know, that's the exact type of low-cost, controllable acquisition that makes sense to the Brewers, just so happens to be an end that we're familiar with. So, Overall, you know, adding two of these pitchers, whatever, everybody, every fans, uh, every analyst, you know, biggest point of contention this season has been with the bullpen. You know, at least consistent point of contention. The starting rotation's kind of come and gone. Uh, obviously, Gina Carrot's been demoted at this point, and uh, Louis Peralta couldn't stick in the rotation from April, things like that. But overall, everybody says, oh, this bullpen. So they went out and they got two cheap bullpen pieces, both of whom have the chance to be good, and Swarzak has performed well already this season. So, yeah, overall, from the trade deadline standpoint, I'm okay with the bid, and I, I understand it as part of the bigger plan. We'll probably know for sure once the Brewers take a, you know, a tight lead into a seventh inning of a game where the starting pitcher isn't in anymore, but would you guess that it would go Jeffress in the seventh, Swarzak in the eighth, and Knable in the ninth if, if everybody's you know available and, and you're in your most preferred situation? I would think that's probably how it would line up tomorrow, for example, if everybody's there and, and rested. Um you have to realize that Jeremy Jeffers has struggled this season. Um, not completely, not in all facets, but you know he has struggled this season. His ERA is up around five uh, so far with the Texas Rangers. He comes back to that to the National League where he's been more comfortable, like we said before. But overall, I think Jeffers does have a little bit to prove before he can just be handed the ball in pressure situations and be 100% counted on and have everybody be, be comfortable with him. Obviously, Council knows him. Obviously, you know, most of the people that matter around here know him and know how to work with him and hopefully can you know get him settled back into where he was last season before that trade. But at the end of the day, I do eventually think 
that for right now, yeah, Jefferson is seven makes the most sense. Sorzak has had more success, you know, more recent immediate success this season. So it makes more, uh, it, it seems to me that him in the eighth is the way to go for, at least for now. Adam McAlvey tweeted out uh, a little while ago where he compared the four-seam fastball from last year to this year, and last year it averaged out at 96.2 with a max of 98.9. Uh, this year it's uh, averaging at 94.7, so about a mile and a half of difference there. Max 97, so pretty much a two-mile difference there. And then when you start to break down the numbers a bit on Jeffress, obviously remember what he did last year with the Brewers where he was the closer had a 2.22 ERA, went to Texas, was still solid, 2.70 ERA, but this year that's ticked all the way up to 5.31. You know, a lot of times you look at velocity and you say, how do you fix velocity? Uh, it's not always a mechanical sort of thing. Do those velocity numbers uh, worry you at all? Not for me. Um, when Jefferson was going very well in Milwaukee, it started with lower velo and improved command. And then from there, he was able to add velocity back on uh, once he, I think, really had a hold of himself and both from a command and control kind of a standpoint. So I believe that Jeffers is still only 29. You know, there's no thing in his history that says that he should be physically, you know, over the hill at this point. So from all of that and my very untrained, uh, not scout-worthy eye, uh, I could identify mechanical flaws myself, obviously, and I haven't watched much of Jeremy Jeffers this season for obvious reasons he hasn't been in Milwaukee. But um, all those things put together, I would think that if Jeffers can get his uh, control and command back, then I think he's going to be fine. But that much of a velo drop isn't super significant. If you're putting a, uh, if you're putting a fastball, you're putting your sinker where you want it to go. So, yeah, for, from that aspect, I think Jeffers has the chance to be uh, to be okay at those miles per hour. Jeffress early on in his career had some off-field stuff. Uh, he he seemed to get his life perfectly back on track, and then last year he has quite honestly a very embarrassing DUI. If you go look at the uh, the, the exact you know the, the the details of the incident, which we won't get into here, uh, he went to rehab. He seemingly got back on track. But it just seems like he's got a support system in Milwaukee that can help him, and I, I I can't speak to Texas, and he's you know he's been a solid citizen ever since that incident, since he got back out of uh, the 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 alcohol rehab program that he went through last year. But I don't even know what the question is here, except just can you comment on the fact that it does seem like Milwaukee is you know from just a from a personal standpoint, this probably is the best place for him to be. I think so. Yeah, when when that all happened last year, I never even brought it up on Twitter because he was with another organization, and it's a personal issue. And I can understand a little bit where guys may have you know some demons and some things going on in their lives and their personal lives that we just don't know about. So I never commented on. I don't know what or why it happened, and I won't comment on any of that right now because again, I still don't know. Maybe once you know the Milwaukee market has a chance to talk to Jeremy, maybe that gets brought up. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe we find out. Maybe we don't. But overall, you're right. The, the support system he has here that was developed, you know, his not only just with the team, but I think his just the community, his, the, the friends that he had in town here. He overcame some serious stuff to really realize his potential as a bullpen arm, as a closer type bullpen piece. 
here in Milwaukee. And when you have, when you almost kick out of baseball, you know, as a minor leaguer, and then by many accounts rush to the major leagues to avoid that happening, and then you overcome all of that, you know, he, he said he found inspiration to overcome those uh, problems with his daughter. And just the, the focus that he had on that aspect of his life was heartwarming to me. And something happened in Texas, like you said, and we don't know why and we don't know the circumstances, but knowing how he was about the first, you know, with the, the marijuana uh, suspensions in the minor leagues with the Brewers originally after they drafted him, knowing how he overcame that and, and why and, you know, the reasons for that, I was really shocked when Texas happened. So, again, not knowing why or how, I'd like to think that Jeremy being back here in Milwaukee in a place where he had a lot of success, uh, again, professionally, but also personally overcoming that kind of stuff, it could only be good for him. So that we've spent a ton of time talking about Jeremy Jeffers, eh, because I think it, it helps the team, it helps the bullpen. That's an area that needed help. Uh, but there, there were expectations, or at least there were maybe expectations is too strong of a word. But there was there was a belief that more moves could have been made. Uh, what what part of uh, uh, of this trade deadline day are you maybe disappointed in from a Brewer standpoint? Um. Well, nothing that I don't think could be addressed in August if they decide to go, you know, through the waiver period. And there's some names David Sims mentioned it on MLB Network Radio, I guess, uh, and to the, the beat writers here in Milwaukee that uh, there, with all the names that were talked about today and over the last, you know, several days, that he expects, Sims expects the August you know, waiver trading uh, period to be busier than normal. So if they really want to get a Curtis Granderson. That's a guy that's going to throw waivers because the Mets want to get rid of him. Uh, so I don't think anybody's going to claim him for a straight salary, you know, a uh, salary release situation for New York. So guys like that can absolutely still be moved in August. And I guess I would expect if the Brewers do want something to, that they can pull off a deal that way. But at the same time, you know, as a fan seeing where the Brewers are, we mentioned the two and a half games behind the Cubs in the division. It would be great. You know, it would have been fun had the Brewers been able to land a high-priced starter at a low cost, you know, but that's just not the way that the market kind of played out this this month, this week. And the Brewers are in a position now, or continue to be in a position, to hopefully have many shots at the postseason, not just an unexpected one in 2017. So they're playing for a, a, a long-time open window instead of trying to push everything in to maybe pry open the 2017 playoffs wildcard or otherwise, because quite honestly, as Council said, uh, you know, shortly after the break got over, what they, what the Brewers team that is pretty much still intact right, right now today, what that group of guys was able to do was good enough to put themselves five and a half games up on the Cubs by the All-Star break. So all they have to really do, you know, easier said than done, I guess, is get back to what they were doing, being effective, you know, timely hits, uh, good pitching, the starting pitching still being pretty good, uh, right now, with you know, Junior Garrett aside, Zach Davis is rounded back into form that we all expected him to be this year. Nelson's been shoving. Chase Anderson's going to come back next month if everything goes according to the schedule. So that can be a big acquisition there as well. So uh, all you all you really have to do from a Milwaukee standpoint is hopefully continue to you know put the type of teams together that you're able to before, and hopefully you should be okay. 
for many Brewers fans, for many Brewers folks on, on social media, the dream acquisition was A's pitcher Sonny Gray. He ends up going to the Yankees, and immediately after that deal got done, there was chatter on Twitter that, oh, the Brewers could have matched the you know the give that uh, the Yankees gave. How do you feel about that? Would have you, would have you been okay with uh, a deal equal to what the Yankees gave away for Sonny Gray, or do you think David Stearns made the right decision not giving away that level of, uh, of asset? Well, first, I think they could have matched that. I think they have, uh, the Brewers have plenty of talent in the farm system to almost have gone and done anything you know, with, with an available piece at this trading deadline. That said, um, a lot was made of the fact that two of the players that the Yankees gave up were hurt, but they were also still highly rated prospects. So, yeah, they're hurt right now. It's kind of like when the Brewers drafted Kestahira. Yeah, there are question marks with his elbow. Maybe he's not going to play the field this year. Um, but the elbow is eventually going to heal, and you get that bat, and then you get a guy who can play some second base, and you've got a, a complete player. Yes, sometimes injuries don't heal properly, but you know, based on the modern science, and I'm sure plenty of medical reviews were done, probably why it took so long for the A's and the Yankees to come to an official agreement today. But a guy like uh, Caprellian and uh, I forget the outfielder's name, uh, but these guys are, are highly regarded prospects in a very deep Yankee system. It's not like you're picking the number four and number ten out of the Angels system where they don't have anybody. You know, this is a very deep Yankee farm system. So, but that what the Brewers would have had to get up to match something like that, I don't think that I would have been okay with. And to be completely honest with you, Kenny Gray is a fine pitcher, uh, but I don't think he's a, a world-beating CC Sabathia type uh, trade deadline acquisition. You know, I think. He, Get a Sunny Gray, you're going to get some consistently good play, of course. And that's why he was as expensive as he is in a really a rebound season for him overall. But I don't think that he's the type of guy that you sell the farm for, to, to coin a phrase. And I, I don't think that he's the type of guy that you can't find similar value in a trade over the winter. One of the big things about Sunny Gray was yeah, you get him for 2017, but you also get him for 2018, 2019. Uh, and like I said, that's not something you can't find this winter to support the pitching staff going into the 2018 season. The names that were thrown around this year that did not get traded, a lot of them profile as the highly paid veterans who are probably making more than they should right now or make so much that not many teams could take on that kind of salary. That would lead you to believe that August could still be a busy month in terms of trades. I've been saying it for a while. People have listened to this podcast or listened to me on WTMJ. I've said over and over that I'm more interested to see what the Brewers might do in August if they stay in the race as compared to what they would do in the month of July. How active do you think potentially the Brewers could be between now and the final day of August? Well, yeah, I think that there's, like I was saying, I think there's definitely enough talent available. It's usually the higher priced, maybe even short-term rental type talent, but the Brewers have a ton of payroll space if they want to you know, acquire anybody who's making a ton of money for just the balance of 2017, um, like Curtis Granderson, for example. They have the room to take on that type of contract. And if they think it's going to be beneficial to them, you know, both quickly and, you know, a little bit longer term, and great. Um, that said, my, my favorite August acquisition story has always been Alex Rios um, because he was 
thought to be making a ton of money when he was with the Toronto Blue Jays, and they were kind of trapped underneath his contract. And then they just put him out on the, the waivers in uh, in August, and the thing he could get through, and maybe they could trade him, and the White Sox claimed him, and Toronto said, okay, your, your contract, your problem, there you go. So it's it's always something that can happen and can be kind of fun and exciting to see who maybe make it through waivers. The teams block each other. You know, somebody put it out on Twitter to me, a reminder that you know, back in the 90s, the Brewers could have blocked David Cohn on waivers from getting to the New York Yankees, and they chose not to. And that did not work out very well for the Milwaukee Brewers to, uh, to forego that. So, but again, there's a ton of talent available for the right prices. Uh, a guy like Matt Garza is going to probably sneak through waivers on the Brewers' end. Obviously, if they decided to put Ryan Braun through like they did last year, uh, he, he would probably most likely sneak through because he's got the full no trade. So why would one team bother to claim him anyway? You know, there, there's a lot of guys that could potentially go, and uh, you'll see a lot of names that will get put on the, the waiver uh, line just to see what kind of activity there might be, see if they get somebody to bite. Um, you can probably go over the, the specifics uh, at a different point on the podcast so you're listening in knowledge-wise, but to your, uh, your original question, I think it could be an active August, like Stearns was suggesting it could be, and there are... Uh, people out there that could benefit the Brewers if they choose to be active uh, during this month. Curtis Granderson, you just mentioned him, so that's why I follow up with this. That rumor seemingly did not go away. When I first heard the idea of Curtis Granderson on the team, I didn't like it, but I I kind of convinced myself that it could be a good thing if you consider him kind of the 25th man on the roster, bring him in as a fourth outfielder, but a guy that can uh, give you some starts in center field, certainly a guy who can come up with some big hits, has some pop, and you know gives you, you, you get Curtis Granderson walking through that door and you're in the middle of a pennant chase, that can, that can lift a team a little bit as well. Do you like the potential idea of Curtis Granderson joining the Brewers for the stretch run? Um, I guess I'd be pretty indifferent to it. I got a chance to talk to Curtis Granderson last year um, because of us were in town right during the, the draft when the Brewers uh, picked Porter Ray. And Granderson and Ray are both from Chicago. And they have a, a little bit of a mentor-mentee type relationship. And so we got to talk to, to Granderson then. And it, it was nice to meet him. He's a great guy, obviously, hugely successful over the course of his career, and off the field, just an amazing person. But you know, I think, yeah, he could probably help. He, he would certainly help if they want a left-handed hitting guy who can play center field in a pinch. He's going to be better for this team than Kirk Newenheis would be, for example. Um, but that said, if they added a bat like that, great. If they didn't, okay. I think they've got uh, enough guys with enough reps, enough ABs, uh, to, you know, they could split those up to guys that could use them, like Brett Phillips is also a left-handed center field type that could come up and be an, an extra outfielder on this team if they wanted to do something like that. So, again, Curtis Granderson in particular, that specific example, I would be okay if he got here, so long as the cost was very, very low. Um, but I also uh, totally would be fine if he stayed in New York or went someplace else. Continuing to talk with uh, Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation and also a contributor at FanRag Sports. Uh, there's there's not much more to say in terms of the trade deadline because the Brewers don't do a whole lot. So let's take a, a step back uh, before we let you go and, and look at some more big picture things uh, with this club. Uh, the team loses two out of three against the Cubs, but they 
Um, they play those games close, and their offense was not good with runners in scoring position as we record this interview on Monday afternoon. They're 0 for their last 31. You can look at it negatively and say they lose 2 out of 3. You can look at it positively and say, okay, that's the first place team, the defending World Series champions, and the team that you're uh, right, you know, trying to catch up with now, and all you needed was a couple clutch hits over the course of the series, and maybe you sweep it. The truth is somewhere in the middle. How do you evaluate what happened over the weekend? How I evaluate the weekend is, look, I, I put it this way. The Brewers are not in a bad position. They have a small gap to make up. Yes, they lost a ton of ground since the All-Star break in a rapid succession that had people you know, calling back to most of 2014, which it's another topic for another day because it's a longer point. But this season is not like 2014 to me, and people have really got to stop comparing it to that season. But, yes, they lost a bunch of grounds in a seemingly short time span, and that's got people thinking that way. But for me, this weekend showed not only that the Brewers are still in a decent position, having only lost one extra game in the standings with the head-to-head series, going you know two games in the Cubs' direction, um, but it also kind of proves out the fact that this Brewers team – the Cubs are, I'll say it this way, the Cubs are this supposed world-beating, you know, World Series champion, unbelievable roster, talent from top to bottom, losing out their ears. They have to go get Jose Quintana to catch the Brewers and pay for Justin Wilson and the backup catcher to, again, try to now stay in front of the Brewers. And obviously, they're targeting the playoffs and who they might face in the playoffs because you have to think that way. Well, why wouldn't you, right? You you want to be the leader, so you have to think ahead. You have to think of, of September and October baseball. But they are not that far ahead of the Brewers, I don't think, in terms of on-field play. And that's what this weekend shows me. So whether it's this season, whether the Brewers end up falling back to 10 games down because they never get out of this offensive funk, or they come back and make it a, a two-horse race for the rest of the, the, the remainder of the summer here, I think the Brewers have shown to the baseball world, especially to the Cubs, that they have plenty left in the tank uh, from a pitching standpoint, and the Cubs need to stay on their game or else the Brewers are perfectly capable of catching them. They don't make the move for a starter. Right now on the active roster, there's only three starters there. Matt Garza can come off the DL soon. Uh, Brandon Woodruff is at AAA. You would think you know he was supposed to get a start earlier this year, and that didn't happen. Uh, Paolo Espino is still around, but I would sense Woodruff and Garza. If if, if everybody's healthy and and everybody's available, it would be Woodruff and Garza moving into the five man rotation. Would you would you think that that uh, assessment is correct? Yeah, that seems most likely. Um, I, I think Garza is supposed to have his second symptom today to determine whether or not he's he feels ready to come off the DL and, and make it to start on Wednesday. And then Thursday, yeah, Woodruff is lined up. He pitched for AAA, Colorado Springs, in that turn, you know, the same day that Garrett got knocked around and lifted early. And he makes the most sense. You mentioned in St. Louis he had that opportunity taken away by a tight hamstring. So the Brewers certainly want to see what he can contribute at the big league level. And if he's ready to go, and he had a five-inning, uh, five-plus inning start, I think five and a third for Colorado Springs on that day, and 
pitched pretty well. You know, I think it was scoreless with six strikeouts. So he looks pretty good. Uh, his pitch count was up around 70 pitches. So he might be a little bit limited lengthwise if he were to come up for the start on Thursday. But, you know, it's he's a guy that the Brewers have been very high on. He not came out of nowhere um, over the last calendar year or so. But he's really elevated his profile and done a great job at putting himself in a position to take this opportunity and hopefully have success. And he would still make his debut against the Cardinals. <laughs> yes, he would. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> uh, Adam Rigg joining us. A couple more questions uh, for him before we let him go on this special edition of Brewers Externings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. You mentioned uh, Junior Guerra. He got pulled after three innings the other day. He had not given up a run, but he worked out of trouble. He threw uh, more balls than he did strikes in his day. Uh, he just he hasn't looked right for most of the. There's been flashes, but there hasn't been much more than flashes. Uh, what you know, he's going to go down to AAA. They're going to try to get him that confidence. It was when he came up from AAA last year that obviously he came out of nowhere and was very good. But is what what hope do you have for Junior Garrett at some point? returning to the rotation and, and looking somewhat like the guy he was last year that resulted in, in him being the opening day starter this year? Well, I think there's always hope. In Garrett's case, he really came out of nowhere, like you said, in that not only did people not really expect that level of performance once you got to the big leagues, but he, as you know very well, Matt, he wasn't pitching all that great in, in Colorado Springs when he got the call up in the first place. It was more of a Gosh, we need somebody, and well, Garrett's available, kind of a move in my mind anyway, when he was originally called on last year. So I think there's hope. I think he's had mechanical issues. I think he's maybe hasn't been fully confident in his calf muscle. Uh, they strained on opening day, of course. They cost him the month, uh, month plus, really, out of the rotation. So if he can feel physically good and, and you know, trust his body again, maybe he can get back to what he was able to do and, and find success. If a guy with Garrett's pitching profiles, I've always been told, and again, I'm no scout, but I've always been told that if a guy with a splitter and a lot of sink, if he drops his arm, like was highlighted uh, by um, Kyle, and the guy's a brew crew ball, they did a nice little thing on it, and it, it's definitely, I'm sure, something that the Brewers noticed, but if you get a guy with a lot of sink and a lot of downward movement and drops and his pitches are going to flatten out a little bit, and that's, I think, some of what was happening to Guerra is that he was just, you know, the balls were staying up and not doing what they were supposed to do, and, and he was getting hit around a little bit. When he was in that start in New York before he left to taking the ball off the shin, uh, he was looking better. His velo was back up. Um, the analysis after that game showed that his arm slot had, had moved back up a little bit higher, and he seemed to be, you know, what he needed to be doing. And then he got the injury, and I haven't looked at, you know, release points since then, uh, you know, when he finally came back after the All-Star break or whatnot. But, again, it just wasn't working for him. So I think it's there. If there's one thing you know about Junior Garrett from his career, this guy is a fighter. And if there's a way to figure out how to be successful, Junior Garrett's the type of guy that's going to be able to figure it out because he's had to do that. He's had to reinvent himself at every stop along the way, eventually picking up the splitter from Gene Machi and then his little winter league ball and honing it over a number of years to become, you know, to have the type of season he did in 2016. So, yeah, if there's a guy that, that's going to be able to, to figure it out, I, I'm banking on Junior Garrett. That said, you know, there's only so much time. It's kind of the rest of the season, I think, for Garrett, because based on what the Brewers have, you know, for next year, 
and who they have lined up to probably be in the rotation, the big league rotation from opening day, Hero's going to have to show quite a bit, I think, over the next two months if he's going to be under consideration for one of those spots. Let me finish you with this, and I'm not trying to be overly negative today. I feel like we've talked about some of the negative stuff. Uh, but right, I've been someone that has been expecting Jonathan VR to kind of find it and maybe not be the exact guy that he was last year, but be a productive player. I'm starting to back off that. I'm seeing very little from a guy right now that is actually helping the team win. Um, and, and I don't know if it's Eric Sogard. He has not looked great since coming back from the injury. Uh, I liked it the day that uh, Ernan Perez started at second. That was one of the days that Braun was uh, batting second in the lineup and, and Domingo Santana was leading off. But Jonathan VR, is this a guy that you think uh, at any point this year is going to be able to help this team win games? And I certainly hope so. Um, I really like the as a person. <laughs> Not that that matters on the field. Um, but you, you would think that. Uh, all right, let's let's look at his short-term profile, and you know I'll try to keep this relatively short for you. Um, but he's a guy who unrealized potential last time in Houston. Right, he was inconsistent. He struck out a lot. He was a switch hitter, which was nice. He was fast on the bases and a lot of potential that way defensively. Uh, primarily a uh, shortstop to try to center field in Houston, amongst a couple other spots, just to try to get him on the field to see what he was capable of. He was already out of options at a fairly young age, so he that means he got to the big leagues in a hurry because he was showing that potential and showing you know that he could handle the game of baseball at the highest levels. So you have that kind of a profile, but also one that when Stearns left and he saw why. Well, I think he got to play shortstop until our is ready. Um, I remember VR. He had some something there, you know. So we traded a, a minor league pitcher for him, a starting pitcher who was actually do, having a pretty decent season uh, in 2017. Slice need. That's not a or there, but VR came over and just exploded with the playing time. I think having the, the team had confidence in him and showed support and giving him that job and letting him kind of run with it and. The league took a long time to adjust, and it's been just a weird season for Jonathan ever since then in 2017 because he had a truncated spring training to get himself ready. I don't recall if he played winter ball at all this offseason, and if so, how much. Uh, off the top of my head, maybe you can look it up and, and fill it in after we're done here. But I don't know from there. You know, he had, like I said, the truncated spring training because of the World Baseball Classic where he went but barely played for the Dominican team. And he kind of always seemed, you know, two, three steps behind throughout the first part of the season, both in terms of his, his contact. And, you know, you would think even a switch hitter would need even more reps to get ready from both sides of the plate. Um, at least that's how I've always thought of it. So the fact that this season he's, you know, worse against left or right-handed pitching, so as a right-handed hitter, that was his best side last year. And he's worse this year as a righty than he is as a left-handed hitter. And it's just, it's been one of those weird kind of perfect storm type seasons for Jonathan Villar. I think that the reason the team has held on to him, where it is, you know, finally cut it with Luis Peralta after so many opportunities, and they DFA'd him. And the option changes Garrett down. He was broken, they started, and he just wasn't getting it done. And they've been willing to make a lot of moves to, to get guys right and to other options. Um, I think the reason they've held on to VR so long, not just because of the no minor league options, but I really think they see the 2016 players in him. He's got that type of physical ability 
and it's just a matter of you know trying to unlock it again, so to speak. Uh, for some reason, it's it's just not clicking. Now, do I think that he's capable of helping the team this season? Um, and maybe, maybe not. We're running out of time, like you mentioned. It is going to be August very, very soon here, as we record, like you said, on the 31st. So there's two months left, basically, uh, of the Virginia baseball season, and VR only has so much time. The Brewers are talking about acquiring second baseman types um, before the trading deadline just passed, because I think that they're not sold on what VR can do this year, and they want to get better offensive production from that spot. They don't want to start in Lopez every day anywhere defensively, and since Sogard got hurt with the ankle, he has not exactly hit the ground running in his return to the lineup. Um, so that's a spot where they have a little bit of a hole. That's why I think VR keeps setting the chances not only on the team but in the lineup, uh, because they really are hoping that if he can even give half of the production they gave last year, that's going to be a huge boost for this team down the stretch. But um, do I think it can happen? Sure. Am I counting on it? Not at this point. There's too much track record. Well, Adam, we now start the countdown to the August 31st trade deadline. That is a Thursday, uh, the first game of a series that night uh, against Washington after they play two games against St. Louis during the midweek in the month of August. Could be interesting uh, for the Brewers if they do uh, make some moves. We always remind folks to uh, follow you on Twitter, at Brewer Nation. Uh, Adam, thanks as always for your time. Always great to get you on, especially uh, this is our first ever technically a special edition. I didn't call an emergency podcast. I called it a, a special edition. But uh, thanks so much uh, for your time, and we'll get you back on here uh, very, very soon. Well, I'm looking forward to it anytime, Matt, and uh, we'll see you down at the ballpark this week. That's Adam Rigg joining us uh, again from uh, the Brewer Nation and also FanRag Sports, and we appreciate him taking some time with us after uh, what has been a quiet trade deadline. The Brewers reacquired reacquired Jeremy Jeffress, but that is it for uh, this year. Again, August could be busy. A lot of those names that were being rumbled about, I guess you can say, are the profile of guys that pass through waivers. And if that's the case, then they'll still be available during the month of August, and we'll see what kind of deals could uh, maybe be made. Part of this has to do as well with do the Brewers stay in it? You know, if they right now they're in it. They're two and a half back as we record on Monday afternoon. If they fall back substantially, if the Cubs, and we didn't even get into uh, the, the moves the Cubs made, but the Cubs made moves, and a lot of people think the Cubs uh, had the best trade deadline of anybody in baseball. If they continue to roll the way they have been since the trade deadline, and the Brewers have a hard time getting that offense going, then you probably don't see the Brewers make a ton of moves in August. But if they stick around in this, there's still a chance that they can add a starting pitcher. Who knows? Add a second baseman, add a bat, add a, a veteran outfielder. All the kinds of positions that uh, that we were talking about, that all still remains possible. Uh, again, next week we'll go back to our normal type of program with uh, all the different segments and everything. This has been a special edition. Before we go, though, we will do what we always do, and that's look at the week that is coming up as uh, the Brewers have the off day on Monday. They are back at it on Tuesday at home for a three-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, the The only thing that we really know for sure is that uh, Jimmy Nelson and Brent Suter will start the first two games of that series respectively. At that point, 
Uh, where do you maybe pencil in Brandon Woodruff? Does he start that final game on that Thursday? Uh, is Matt Garza back for that Saturday game uh, when they go to Tampa Bay for the weekend? We just have to uh, wait and see on what's going to happen there. Right now, three starters on the roster as we talk on Monday, and I would have to bet that Brandon Woodruff and Matt Garza will get added to the roster at some point in the near future. All right, thank you for listening. We were hoping for a more active trade deadline. This could have been uh, more fun of a show, but you know what? It was still quite fun, and we got into a lot of things with Adam. Thanks uh, to my guest, Adam Rigg from uh, the Brewer Nation for joining us as always, and thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.